is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About five thousand men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Thanks, Laura. Uh, let's talk to God, ask him to help us as we uh, reflect a little bit more on this part of the passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the Gospel of John. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write it. May uh, that same Spirit illumine our hearts now as we reflect on these words uh, such that we might come to cherish and love Jesus more. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Joel Olstein uh, is an American pastor and uh, tele-evangelist whose church, Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, uh, boasts around 50,000 people attending every Sunday, uh, each week, sorry, uh, and whose televised services uh, and sermons are seen by approximately 12 million viewers in the US and several million more in over 100 countries weekly. So, uh, Joel's message is clearly scratching where a lot of people are itching. And uh, he'd say his message is that uh, he's all about Jesus and that the good news about Jesus is that making a decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus means having a positive mindset. Uh, he said this just a couple of years ago. When your mind is set, positive, hopeful, expecting good things, that's when you'll go places that you never dreamed. Uh, if you develop this habit of having a positive mindset, you cannot be defeated. You'll not only live healthier, happier, have more energy, but I believe and declare you will accomplish more than you ever imagined. You will overcome obstacles that look impossible and you will become everything God created you to be in Jesus' name. Sounds good, doesn't it? In Jesus' name, as we uh, have our minds on positive, hopeful, good things, Joel says we can expect to overcome anything in this life. If you're lonely, the good news is Jesus is a reliable friend. 
If your big problem is anxiety, Jesus will calm you down. If your big problem is paying the bills, Jesus will get you the money you need and then some. If your big problem is being isolated, Jesus will give you that loving community. And all it takes is to get these things in a positive mindset with Jesus. We can claim these things with Jesus to make us healthier and wealthier and happier because to be happy is to have these things in Jesus' name. That's what it means to know Jesus, according to John. Now, you might hear this and wonder at it uh, because you know that your experience and the experience of uh, many others is maybe a little different to this. But who doesn't want this kind of life? Because... Now, all of Joel Olstein's promises aside, which of us doesn't strive for health, wealth and happiness over and above what pretty much everything else? And even if we don't equate true faith with positive thinking, like Joel does or might, maybe we frame up how healthy, wealthy and wise we are in terms of whether we think Jesus is doing it for us or not. But what if Jesus isn't about giving us what we want? Even if what we want is good. Could it be that going after these things, setting our hopes on these things, even these good things, uh, that we might miss out on what we need? And not just what we need, but what all people need. Because that seems to be where the passage is taking us today. As we see, Jesus gives people what they need, not always what they want. As we come off the back of Jesus making a a bunch of Jewish leaders grumpy in chapter 5, we saw last week, by healing on the Sabbath, claiming to be equal with God, even when he is, but they miss the point. They fail to see Jesus for who he is and the good that he's doing. But here in chapter 6, we see uh, the crowds uh, who actually like Jesus, they miss the point too. Uh, they run after Jesus for what they what he can give them materially and politically. Uh, but as Jesus goes on to show, even though he might not give people what they want, he can be trusted to give people what they need. So that's where we're going today. Firstly, as we see Jesus cares for people uh, and secondly has a plan, uh, even if we're not sure what it is or how it's going to work. Uh, thirdly, because... Jesus miraculously gives what's needed, and then some, finally, uh, he mightn't give us what we always want. So, firstly, Jesus cares for people. Now, uh, you might hear this and you go, well, duh, of course, uh, Jesus cares. If there's going to be one thing everyone agrees on, uh, even those who don't like him that much, it's that Jesus cares for people. But you may not pick up uh, that up so much here in uh, John, the Gospel of John, as you might in the other Gospels. Uh, but this event is recorded uh, in all four Gospels. It's a big deal. It's a big story. And in Matthew and Mark, uh, we're told explicitly that Jesus has compassion for the crowd. They spent the whole day with him, uh, and he doesn't want them to go hungry. Uh, in John, though, it's, it's brief, but beautiful. So in verse 5 we read, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Literally, it reads, uh, Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great crowd coming to him. Jesus deliberately looks and sees these people. He sees what they need. They need bread and a good amount of it. Uh, Philip's assessment in verse 
uh, seven. It'd take a whole more than a whole year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Uh, he literally says two hundred denarius's worth of bread is not enough for each one to get a little. A, uh, a denarii was a day's pay for a common labourer. Then one denarii was a uh, a day's pay for a common labourer. So Philip's talking about two hundred days' wages. Uh, I did the math. Uh, that's just over thirty-one thousand dollars in the Australian minimum wages rate to pay for not even a little bit for everybody. But irrespective, Jesus wants to feed them. He cares for them. He cares that they get what they physically need here. And I don't think uh, it's a stretch to see something of a nod to Jesus' concern that, that his people care for basic needs, the basic needs of people too. Uh, it's certainly harder for someone to be fed spiritually, to be able to hear the good news of Jesus if their stomachs are grumbling or they're destitute and distracted by not having a roof over their head or clothes on their back. Uh, it might be the best pre-evangelism is not an easy conversation about spiritual matters, but lifting our eyes to see the physical needs of the people around us. It had seemed that that would be to be like Jesus here. And interestingly, it's what the world thinks Jesus' people should be like too. Uh, just this week, a, a gentleman was contacted by the police with some uh, terrible news. They told him he needed to get up north quickly for a family matter. And when he said he didn't have any money to uh, make that trip, you know what the police told him to do? They directed him to contact, follow up the churches around about to help, which... He did, and he got the money he needed from the churches that tried to care. Because Jesus cares for people. That's the first point. Uh, Jesus cares. He cares for people. The second point is Jesus has a plan to meet people's needs. Even if we're not sure how uh, it's going to work. We see this clearly in this story, don't we? As Jesus asks the question, uh, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I don't know about you, but I think one of the most frustrating and disempowering things is to see a need uh, and to have no way of meeting it, right? You can sense this in the exasperated tone of Philip's response here. 200 denarius won't cut at Jesus. What are you asking me this for? I don't know what to do. But maybe God allows these kind of moments to test us, like he did Philip, so that we look to Jesus with our meagre resources, even if we know they're woefully inadequate, as Andrew does. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He's a boy with uh, five small barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, how far will they go among so many? Five loaves and two fish, it's ludicrously inadequate. Andrew knows it, but John mentions it here to highlight how miraculous what happens next is. And maybe that's all that Jesus needs from us, too, even if we feel woefully inadequate to meet people's needs, what we've got to give, no matter how small, Jesus can use it. Perhaps precisely because it's so small to highlight how great he is. 
maybe to show how much he doesn't need us, but still wants us to be a part of his plan. Uh, when I was in school, I was mates with a very gregarious guy. Uh, we were at school together, and he'd set up, uh, we set up and ran the, the lunchtime Christian group uh, in our a local high school in Coffs Harbour there for a time. When I say we, uh, he was basically him. He did it. Uh, he was the powerhouse. Uh, the reason the group existed and kept going, the reason a bunch of people uh, heard about Jesus, uh, because he was very winsome. Uh, he'd round up the troops, organise the library so that we could meet there, give the Bible talk. It was stunning every single time. I just played the guitar uh, rather badly, you might say. I think I knew about three chords and two songs that nobody else knew. Uh, it was in spite of me that people came along. But my mate, he was adamant about having me there and graciously letting me throw in my meagre two cents. Maybe that's a little bit like what Jesus is doing here. The small offering the disciples find of the loaves and fish, even though he doesn't really need them, he graciously uses the small amount that they bring to, to include them in his plan, his plan to give people what they need. That's the second point. Jesus got a plan. Which brings us to the third point. Jesus miraculously gives what's needed, and then some. As he gets the people to sit down, uh, all 5,000 men, uh, there were probably 15, or over 15,000 extra women and children with them. Uh, the mention of the men specifically here might be a way of drawing attention to uh, a potential guerrilla force of eager recruits, given that they try to make Jesus uh, king by force later on, but Jesus isn't into fighting uh, as much as he, he's into feeding, as he dishes out the loaves and the fish to all the people. So we read in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So, uh, over 20,000 people eat as much as they want until they're full from five loaves and two fish. And no matter how you look at this, that's incredible. I'm not sure how it would have looked. Um, did Jesus like just tear a little bit off at a time? Um, <laughs> that would have taken forever, I imagine, uh, handing about to 20,000 people. Or maybe he was a little bit like rapid hands, um, you know, like the Make It Rain move on Fortnite. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. We're told elsewhere in the other uh, Gospels the disciples helped distribute it. I wonder... I wonder how it looked when it went around or how the disciples saw it unfolding in front of their very eyes. You know, like tearing a minty wrapper. You know, it starts small and gets longer and seems seemingly bigger and bigger. Uh, except this wasn't just looking like it was getting more. It was getting more. Uh, and then some. Not only everyone full by the end of it, but there's a bunch left over. Uh, this verse 12 we read. And they... Had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Uh, my wife, Meg, she hates uh, when I chuck out any uneaten food after a meal. Uh, even though we often put leftovers in the fridge and then forget about it, and end up flushing it down the toilet because it's turned to liquid weeks later. Nonetheless, you can't check it out uh, because that's wasteful. Is that what's going on here with Jesus? 
Is he concerned about being wasteful? We're not told where the excess goes. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's not what Jesus is particularly interested in here. Or John, as he's told the story. It's interesting that the word translated wasted there, uh, it appears in chapter 3. The last time it's appeared is in chapter 3, in those famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Perish. Be wasted. It's the same word. In this miraculous feeding of over 20,000 people, while Jesus meets the immediate, immediate physical need of the people at the time, by virtue of the fact that he doesn't want any perishing, like those who don't believe in him, suggests, I reckon that John wants to make us to make a link and to anticipate what Jesus will go on to say in this chapter about what everyone actually needs. In verse 27 of chapter 6, he says, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Spoils, same word. And what's this food? The food that endures? Well, it's Jesus himself. He calls himself the Son of Man here, and he says, He is the food that endures to eternal life. It's him. And to feed on him is to get eternal life. To feed on him, it's a a way of talking about believing in him. The miraculous bread and fish in this story then, it's a pointer to the even more miraculous bread of Jesus himself. And Jesus knows this. This is what people really need. Not more actual physical bread, no matter how miraculously it's multiplied, but himself, his life, the life he's going to give for people. And the fact that there's 12 basketfuls of pieces left over here also shows something of the greater miraculous food of Jesus himself, that his life, his precious and perfect life, He's going to sacrifice it on that cross as a sin offering for sinners to wash away their sin and to turn God's righteous anger away from them. And this life is abundantly more than enough for what people need. Not just for the Jews at the time, but for all people for all time. He's the bread of life. And he's not just sufficient, he's he's abundantly more than enough to save all people. And it's in this that we see Jesus shows us not just what we need, but what all people need. And he's given his life, and in his life, death and resurrection and glorious ascension, we see he's given that for them. This is what is needed, what Jesus gives himself and himself alone. That's the third point. In himself, Jesus gives what's needed, and then some. Which brings us to the last point. Because Jesus cares uh, and has a plan and gives what's needed, and then some in himself, lastly, he might not give us what we want. Which is what happens in the last bit of this passage, as uh, the Jews try to make him king by force, so we read, After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
Now, the prophet here that uh, is mentioned is a prophet like Moses. Way back in the day, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Moses said this. He said, The Lord said to me, what they say is good, the Israelites. What the Israelites say, said to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. This is the, the very same Moses that God used to save the Israelites uh, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, the same Moses God used to bring the plagues upon Egypt to force Pharaoh's hand to let the Israelites go uh, with the final deciding plague being the death of every firstborn in Egypt after which finally Pharaoh says to Moses and the Israelites go get out, leave a time that the Israelites have celebrated since in the festival of the Passover and Moses brings them out into the desert and amongst other things other things, through him God provides miraculous bread from heaven. You may have heard of it. It was called manna. The Israelites would wake up every morning and overnight uh, it would have formed on the ground, uh, enough to feed everyone, not too little, not too much, just just the right amount for everybody. And here, back in John, as we're told in verse 4, the Jewish festival was near. Uh, and the people go with Jesus out into the wilderness and they watch him provide miraculous bread. Sounds a lot like Moses. It's not a wonder that they put two and two together and see Jesus fulfilling what Moses said, that he's this promised Prophet, the one like Moses, the one who will miraculously save Israel from their enemies. And they think, woohoo, let's, let's get on this. Jesus is the man, he's the guy that's going to beat our Roman overlords and set Israel free. So they try to make him king by force. But they miss the point. They see what they want and they see Jesus getting it for them, but Jesus won't have a bar of it. He won't give them what they want, and ultimately, even though they enjoy him miraculously healing and feeding them, they'll reject the very thing that they desperately need, and that's Jesus himself, because he doesn't give them what they want. He won't be the front man for their agenda, because that's not the way he sees people getting what they need in him. And maybe in the light of this, then... Uh, we need to be careful in thinking through how we respond to Jesus, particularly uh, through social platforms or national security interests or moral crusades that we sign up to, that we don't simply baptise them in the name of Jesus, assume Jesus is on our side, and so end up taking him by force, co-opting him to our agenda, with little thought of how that might impact on people being open to hearing that he's the bread of life and what they really need. Because uh, while Jesus gives what's needed, and then some in himself, he mightn't always give us what we want. Which brings us back to where we started, thinking about what we want and what's needed. Because if Jesus cares for people, and he's got a plan to miraculously give what's needed, and then some in himself for all people, then it's, it's worth checking to see if the things that we want the things that we're going after, maybe especially the good things, that we're pursuing them more than what we need in Jesus. And indeed, what everyone needs in knowing Jesus himself.
I reckon where we naturally go in our prayers might be a good place to check where our, our hearts are at with this. What is, what is it that you frequently find yourself praying for? What's the first thing that you do when you pray? Is it to praise God for the way that he's revealed himself in Jesus? Is it to thank him for the salvation that we have in Jesus? Is it to pray that others would come to believe in Jesus? Or for the various missionaries and linked missionary organisations that we support as a church family, that they'd be successful in reaching out to many so that they might believe in Jesus? Is that what we pray for? Or is it we're praying for something that we want first? Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting good things. The question is, are we more energetic in our prayers for what we want? A happy, healthy, good life for us and ours. Or for what Jesus has given in himself and given not just for us, but for all people. You know, that's with our prayers. Another place to check our hearts, and this is maybe with our thoughts on church, how we think about church. Because there's no doubt a loving Caring church community, that's a really good thing. It's part of our vision and mission here as a church family and our desire in knowing Jesus. We're on about knowing Jesus, loving people and changing lives. Loving people is important and a loving church family is a very, very good thing. But if we put our hope in this and we look to Jesus firstly for that good thing, over knowing Jesus himself more, then then we're preferring perhaps bread over the bread of life. And ultimately, that'll leave us empty and disappointed. In our prayer life, in church life, and in the rest of our life, it's worth thinking through where we're looking to find what we want, to, to get happiness. Is it in Jesus, in knowing him and seeing others know him, or is it in some other thing, some other good thing him? Maybe something that we've been thankful to Jesus for giving us, like our family or our job or our health or whatever it is that we enjoy, that's good in this life. Let's be careful uh, not to shift our eyes from the giver to the gifts because as good as these good things are, Jesus knows what we need and it's not these good things. It's himself alone. And so... He mightn't always give us what we want, as good as it might be. But we can trust him in this. We can trust him as we look to find what we need, indeed what everybody needs, abundantly satisfied in knowing Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his work, more and more. As such, let's work at knowing Jesus more and making him known more and more to those around us, to those next door to us, to those throughout the world, with our money, our time and our efforts, our energy and our prayers. Why not decide today that above anything else this year, you're going to know Jesus more, and you're going to try and make him known more, and to commit to finding out how to do that. Let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who may not give us everything that we want, but who always gives what's needed and then some for us and for the whole world in himself.